We are approaching the end of our series on worship in spirit and in truth. And today we will today we will look at the fifth part of of the five elements of our worship. Remember, we're called by God to come out of the world and into his house to worship. We confess our sin, we're cleansed, God consecrates us as we present ourselves as living sacrifices, and then God brings us to his table to fellowship with him, to eat with him, to sup with him, and then God commissions us and sends us back out into the world. I chose as our text today... Revelation chapter 21, and I'm going to read to you Revelation 21, verses 2 through, uh, verse 2 and then verses 22 through 24. And I chose this text today and to talk about our commissioning because this text reveals the consummation of our commission. In our mission as the church. Revelation chapter 21 verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. This is the word of the Lord. So today, as we look at our commissioning, as God's church, as God's people, we are commissioned every week that we gather together for worship. And it's not just the thing we do at the end of the service. There's a very important reason why we are commissioned each week. And so I hope today as we go through this message and we consider that the Lord has commissioned us as his church, that we will take to heart what that means. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Christ, we thank you that you have commissioned us, you have charged us, and you have given us a mission as your church. Father, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, open our hearts and open our minds, and teach us, mold us, and shape us, and transform us into the glorious bride, into the holy city, the new Jerusalem that bears your name, that we might be your city in this earth, giving witness to you and bringing transformation 
to the city and the cities of men. Father, we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this text out of Revelation 21 pictures for us the consummated end of our commission or our mission as commanded us by God. And at the consummation of all things, we see that the aim of our mission as followers of Christ is that all nations would acknowledge the Lord as king and walk in his glorious light. So the commission that we're commissioned with is not just what you're charged with at the end of each service. But God commissioned us from the beginning. And he commissions us all the way to the end. Our commission didn't begin after the resurrection of Christ, but long before. The Lord commissioned Adam at the beginning of the creation. We talk a lot about the Great Commission. We're going to read that in a little bit. But we were given a commission long before the Great Commission recorded for us in Matthew 28. At the beginning, in the book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis, we see God commission Adam. The Lord Jesus Christ commissioned his church at the beginning of the new creation. So we have God commissioning man at the beginning of creation. And we see Jesus commissioning his church, the new man, at the beginning of a new creation. Even to the end of the age. These are not different commissions. And there are many examples of God commissioning his people throughout the scripture. Given that, there has only ever been one mission and this is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. This is our mission. So let's look at God's commission to man at the beginning of creation. <clears throat> We're going to read a number of scriptures here just for context so that I want you to understand that God's mission for his people has not changed. The cross was never God's plan B. The cross has always been God's plan. It's why Jesus is called the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Fast forward. And we see the Lord commission man again after the flood. 
after the old creation is washed away and a new creation emerges from the baptismal waters of the flood, God commissions and changes and charges Noah and his sons. That's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things even as the green herbs. <clears throat> so we see that even as God did with Adam, God again commissions man after the flood. The Lord's charge to Noah and his sons as they walked into a new creation was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, not just with people, but with the glory of God. That has always been the mandate, to not just populate the earth with humans, but to fill the earth with the glory of God. It is man of all creation that bears the image of God. And as man is multiplied and fills the earth, so the image of God is multiplied and it fills the earth. To the end that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So fast forward with me again to the days following the resurrection of the crucified Christ. Before his ascension to the Father, Jesus commissions his church. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We see a pattern here of God commissioning his church. First, in the garden, after man is created and placed on the earth to take dominion. Then again with Noah following the flood at the beginning of a new creation, so to speak. We see it again with Jesus commissioning his church as he prepares to ascend to the Father and inaugurate the new creation all others could only foreshadow. Each week we are called in from the world, that's our call to worship, we assemble for worship, we confess our sins, and we are cleansed, and we receive the assurance of pardon. It's why we kneel, it's why we confess, it's why we rise, and we receive the assurance of pardon. Then we're consecrated. We offer ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, and God accepts them, and we are consumed. Remember, this is this is followed with the sacrifices. The sin offering is our confession. The burnt offering or the ascension offering is our consecration. And then the peace offering is the sacrifice in which the meal is shared. This is 
coming to the Lord's table. And so we see this pattern each week. We're called in from the world, we're assembled for worship, and then God commissions us and sends us back out into the world to fulfill that commission and work toward the goal of our mission. And we saw the end of that. We saw the goal of that achieved recorded in the book of Revelation. That's why I chose that text today because it reveals to us the consummation of our, of our mission, of our commission. When all the nations acknowledge Christ as king and they walk in the light, they walk in his glorious light, that day is coming. And it's going to come because the church is on the earth, in the earth, fulfilling the commission, on mission, doing what God has commanded her to do to bring about that glory and that light, to see the nations actually transformed and walking and acknowledging Christ as king, walking in his light. We should be the most hopeful people on the planet. We should not be a people looking for our escape. We should not be a people moved by the news we read and the news we watch. We should not be a people thinking that somehow we're going to destroy the very world God created. Impossible. God destroyed it when he chose to. He will do what he chooses to do. But the promise God gives to us is a glorious promise that the gospel is working And the gospel is bringing about a transformation of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Not even a parenthesis. There's not going to be an end to that increase. We're living in that increase right now. It's why we can enjoy air conditioning and electricity and controlled climates. That's not just the ingenuity of man. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has given to man the ability to bring about these advances that also advance the gospel and advance the kingdom. So we see this pattern of God throughout his story commissioning his church. And from these examples we see that the commission Yahweh gave man at creation is still in effect. It hasn't changed. The fall didn't derail God's plan and he had to come up with a new one. No. It was restated. It was confirmed to Noah after the flood. And then Christ, inaugurating a new creation, commissions his church before his ascension. And we continue to be commissioned each week as a necessary part of our worship. So worship would not be complete if we just had a call, our confession, and our consecration, and we came to the communion table, but you were never charged or commissioned to go back out in the world and then fulfill the mission that God has given to you as his church. As pastor, I must not fail to properly commission the worshipers each week. That's you. For it is not the pastor commissioning the congregation, but God. Your commission, however it is stated, must be no less than the commission issued by the Lord himself. The ultimate result of our obedience to his commission 
is that the nations acknowledge the Lord as king and walk in his glorious light. And as the city of God, that's who we are, we are commissioned to be transformed or to transform the city of man. We, the city of God, have been commissioned to transform the city of man. We are commissioned as the city of God and the bride of Christ. So in our commission, we must be reminded and we must remember who we are. If you did not know before, the verses of our text today inform us that the church is a city. We are not just any city, but we are the holy city, the new Jerusalem, a city prepared as a bride and adorned for her husband. Who is her husband? Well, go to the word. Revelation 21, 9 and 10. Then one of these seven angels who's had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The church is the bride of Christ the Lamb's wife. Jesus is our husband and our head. This is made clear in the scripture. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 27, and then verses 30 through 32. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul writing to the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord... For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I'm down in verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now listen to the words of the apostle. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Though the scripture above makes great material for marriage counseling and marriage conferences, that is not the primary purpose. Paul wasn't writing to a marriage seminar. He was writing to the church. And he was writing and giving revelation inspired by the Holy Spirit so that the church would understand who she is and why she is on this earth. It is to reveal to us 
who we are in relation to Christ and in relation to one another. In short, it reveals who we are in Christ. We are his bride. We are the bride. We are the church. We are the city of God. It should not be lost on us. When John is carried away to this great high mountain, what he describes descending out of heaven to the earth is a city. And it's called the bride of the Lamb. So each week, God calls us in from the world to send us back out. So the first and the last elements of our worship liturgy, our call being the first and our commission being the last, bookend our service. The first element, our call to worship, invites us in from the world to assemble before the Lord to worship Him. The last element, our commission, sends us back out into the world to function as ambassadors of our King. We're not sent out to convince people to believe in Jesus. I say this all the time, because if you can convince someone to believe in Jesus, then someone's going to come along that can convince them to not believe in Jesus. If someone believes in Jesus because you've convinced them, that should be a red flag. Because we're not sent to convince people to believe. We're sent to declare the gospel. In fact, we're sent to, com- to, to give the message that God gave us, and that is a command to believe. We are sent to command men to believe. And we utter and we issue the command, and then that's between that man and God as to whether that man believes or not. It's not our place to try to convince. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a reason for the hope. We should. We should have those reasons. We should know those reasons. We should know that there, we have every reason historically, archaeologically, textually, to believe the Bible, to believe in the God we serve. And we should educate ourselves and learn those things, but not so that we can go talk people into believing into Jesus. Because that's not how men are saved. Men are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not your works and it's not their works. It's the grace of God. We're messengers. We are the ambassadors of our king, carrying the message of the king, commanding men to believe in the king. And we obey and proclaim his word. We offer right worship and we disciple the nations. That's what we've been charged to do. By his grace, we are invited in from the world. We're cleansed, we're consecrated, we're renewed around the table. We fellowship with real bread and real wine each week. We're nourished and we're strengthened in him by his word and by his spirit. And finally, we're sent back out into the world equipped with his word, empowered by his spirit to proclaim the message of our king and to disciple the nations. What does discipling the nations look like? It looks like you interacting with your neighbor or your brother or your sister or your cousin or your mother or your father or the person you just happened to meet, the stranger you bumped into, and God opens the door of opportunity. We disciple anyone and everyone that is willing to be discipled. 
from our commission, we must go out with joy. This is important. The goal of our commission is that all nations will acknowledge the Lord as king and walk in his light. The liturgy of the church is one way the city of God will transform the city of man. That is the aim of Christian mission. And this cannot and will not be accomplished without joy. The fruit of our weekly worship should be no less than the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace with all the other characteristics of His Spirit should be the hallmarks of the city of God as she dwells among and transforms the city of man. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 12. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth with singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. It's a glorious picture, isn't it? This verse, not coincidentally, follows Isaiah 55, 11, which gives to us the promise that God's word will not return void, but will accomplish whatever the Lord pleases. And it is the pleasure, it is the Lord's pleasure to see the city of God transformed the city of man so that the nations will acknowledge him as king and walk in his glorious light. That pleases the Lord. We have the promise that as we proclaim his word, his word will not return void, but it will actually accomplish that. It's why we see John writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given the vision of the nations acknowledging Christ as king and walking in the light of the Lamb. Because God's word is not going to return void. Contrary to popular belief, this is my perspective. The church and the world is not going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until finally Jesus comes to rescue us out of it. Now, I believe what the scripture actually teaches is that the gospel is working and it will transform this world. And the city of God among the cities of men will transform those cities. How do we know that is true? Because it has happened throughout history. Just go read your history. Start at the beginning and read your history and go all the way through. It's one reason we're going through the timeline of history and the Bible on Wednesday nights. Because we need to see that the gospel actually works. God's word actually is true and it will do exactly what God says it will do. It will transform this world. It will transform you. And many of you know that is true because you have been transformed by God and by the power of the gospel. So Isaiah 55 pictures well the commissioned church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each week we should go out with joy and be led forth with peace. That must be true even in the face of our most difficult circumstances. And there are many people facing many difficult circumstances. But our joy transcends our circumstances. 
And our joy should be so contagious that the mountains and the hills break forth into singing before you. And the trees of the field will clap their hands rejoicing with you. Now you might think this is hyperbole. And I won't say that's not true, that this is not just hyperbolic language, over-the-top language to make a point. But I think, just me again, I think we would be remiss to think that God's creation cannot actually rejoice in Him. There is something powerful about the joy of the Lord filling the Lord's people to overflowing. There is something powerful about the joy of the Lamb filling the bride of the Lamb, the city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, to the point that that joy overflows into the city of man. Just because we cannot hear or perceive it does not mean the mountains and the hills and the trees are not rejoicing in and with the city of God. Paul wrote that the creation, the very creation, groans awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength and it is the bane of our enemy. I'm telling you, the enemy hates it when you Walk in the joy of the Lord. He hates it. Because he knows better than we know that that is our strength. His joy is a contagion we should spread as far and as wide as possible. Therefore, let us go out with joy. Let us go out in strength. Let us go out knowing that we are God's city. Established among the cities of men to redeem those human cities. Jesus commissioned his church to disciple the nations. That means Jesus commissioned you to disciple the nations. Look around. The fields are white for harvest. You are the laborer God has commissioned to go out with joy, led forth with peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, at this time, we would normally get ready to come to the table, but now, at this time, we're actually going to do one of my favorite things. We're going to baptize a very, very young man into the covenant to become a covenant member of God's family. So before I have Spencer and Marley and the family bring Jonah up, I want to give you an exhortation briefly concerning baptism. The ordinance of baptism is administered by the church in obedience to the command of Christ. Baptism is a point of obedience. 
not because it saves us, but because we are saved by grace through faith. Jesus commands us, we just talked about our commission, and in that commission he says, go baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Most, the most important disciple a believing parent or believing parents will make is their child. If you're trying to figure out who to disciple, mom or dad, don't look any farther than your own children. Start there. Start in your family. God will lead you where you need to go after that, but don't forsake what's right before you trying to go out and save the world. I think too many Christians have done this. They're so excited to go and save the world, they forget about their own families. This is why we baptize babies here. We take this seriously because we are charged to make disciples, and that disciple-making must begin in our own families. Our Lord has expressly given little children a place among the people of God. By baptism, we are initiated into the covenant community and made members of the body of Christ. So today, we celebrate as Jonah, Rule, Ripple, by the sacrament of baptism, will be initiated into this covenant community and made a member of the body of Christ. Baptism doesn't impart the regenerating grace of God to this child. Christ gave this holy sacrament as a sign and a seal of the new covenant. And in imparting this sign of the covenant to this child, we welcome this child today into that covenant. Christian baptism signifies God's gracious acceptance into the covenant. For male and female, both young and old. Just as circumcision did under the old covenant, so now in the new covenant, baptism welcomes young and old. But not just male, but now male and female. The baptism is an acknowledgement of God's grace at work in the life of this child as a member of the covenant. Within the care of his father and mother the extended family, and under the nurture of this community of faith, it points to his personal response to God's grace when he will one day demonstrate conscious, saving faith in Jesus Christ. This is why we pray for people every week to live according to their baptism. And what these parents are committing to do today is to raise this child to live according to the baptism he will receive today. These parents have literally made a disciple. And now they baptize him and are committing to obey God's word. To train him up in the fear and the nurture of the Lord. And to teach him to obey all that Christ has commanded. It's their commission from the Lord. It's their commission to obey. And so today, this is a point of obedience for the church. Let us pray and ask that God would bless and honor his name here today. <clears throat>
Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would honor your name here today in this covenant baptism. That you would pour out great kindness, great grace upon us today in showing us your covenant. Father, we pray that you would show us your covenant. It is with the psalmist that I declare from you comes our praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those whom fear him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. This time has come and is being fulfilled because of the work of the cross. And of the resurrection of our Messiah. I ask you, Father, that you would honor your name here today. You are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Spencer and Marley, do you acknowledge that Jonah needs the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you trust in God's covenant promise on behalf of Jonah? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation just as you do for your own? Do you now unreservedly dedicate Jonah, rule, ripple to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before him a godly example, that you will pray with and for him, that you will teach him the doctrines of our holy faith and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? On the basis of your faith expressed here, do you resolve by the grace of God not only to bring him up as your natural son, but also from this day forward, consider him as your brother in the Lord, as a joint heir of all God's covenant blessings? Congregation, do you, as a congregation, undertake the responsibilities of a covenant community, assisting in these, assisting these parents in the Christian nurture of this child? If so, please signify your response with a hearty amen. amen. Spencer and Marling. Bring that child up here. Well, right over here to the water. Bring him to the water. And all the family is welcome to come. Oh my goodness, look at this little man. He is dressed to the nines. Y'all hope y'all got lots of good pictures here. Spencer, 
Marley, brothers and sisters, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is my privilege to baptize Jonah, Rule, Ripple, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you into the name of Jesus Christ. May the blessings of Almighty God descend upon you and dwell in your heart forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Can I take him up there while... You always ask permission before you carry a mama's baby away, okay? (laughs) Congregation, please stand. Jonah Rule Ripple is now received into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, the people of this congregation, in receiving this child, promise with God's help to be his people to the end that he may faithfully walk in Christ all of his days and come at last to Christ's eternal kingdom. Jesus said, whoever shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. Let us receive Jonah Rule Ripple with this charge. Please recite with me. Little child, for you Jesus came to this struggled and suffered. For your sake, he crossed Gethsemane and went through the darkness of Calvary. For your sake, he cried, it is finished. For your sake, he died, and for your sake, he overcame death. Indeed, for your sake, little child, and you still know nothing of it. And thus the word of the apostle is confirmed. We love God. For he loved us first. Amen. I put him to sleep for you. Now, now we will come to the Lord's table. This is our communion with God. After we have ascended as the burnt offering consecrated by God, God invites us to his table to dine with him. Remember, this is the climax of our weekly worship. Not the end of it, but the climax of it. And after we are nourished at the Lord's table, then he commissions us and sends us back out into the world, strengthened for service. Christian, welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. It's time for your commission, for your charge. Each week we are commissioned with our ancient commission. Each week, we are sent back out into the world, equipped with his word and empowered by his spirit. 
We're sent back into the world to proclaim the message of our king and to disciple the nations. Our commission must be visibly lived out just as the church is to be visible in this earth in the place God has ordained us to plant our feet and to live our lives. The goal of our mission is to see the nations acknowledge the Lord as King and walk in His light. And that will only happen as the church faithfully and visibly and obediently walks out her faith on the ground in the joy of the Lord. We sometimes hear people refer to the visible and invisible church. Peter Lightheart says this about the church in his essay entitled, The One City of God. The church is more than a social reality. It has invisible dimensions and depths deep as the depths of God himself. But these invisible dimensions don't overwhelm or cancel the real world character of the church. Visible applied to the church is, biblically speaking, a redundancy. As a real world people made up of real men and real women and real children with real bodies and souls, the church is called to manifest on earth the eternal communion of father and son. The real world historical church simply is the community of men, women, and children adopted by the father united as the body of the incarnate Son, indwelt by the Spirit, so that the world will see and believe the Father sent the Son, close quote. This real world visible community is the family of the Father, the body of the Son, and the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We are the city of God. Worship is the primary work of God's city. A church that worships biblically, a church whose worship is saturated by scripture, a church whose members have learned to navigate biblically through life, a church that shares Christ's body and blood each week, that is a church prepared for mission. You are here each week to be prepared to be on mission. The garden, the place of worship, is the source of the living water that flows to the world. The sanctuary is the beacon whose light shines out among the nations. Unless we literally taste the kingdom in worship, we won't have the words of life that the world needs to hear. If we don't encounter the light of Jesus in his word and at his table, we will not be lights in the darkness. You are commissioned and sent out each week to be just that. Lights in the darkness and salt for the earth. Jesus commissions us to be that. We are to proclaim the gospel, teach men to obey all he commands, baptize converts and their children, break bread, encourage and correct, and to do all with joy and rejoicing. Our worship, our walk, and our work should be joyful and joy-filled. This is the mark of a spirit-filled church and the city of God affecting transformation in the city of man. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for our meal next door, then we're going to sing the doxology, and I'll give you the benediction. Father, as we get ready to go next door, we ask your blessing on the food that's been prepared for us. We ask your blessing on the missionaries, Lord, that we 
have committed to support. We pray that you would pour out your grace upon them and your grace upon us. We thank you for all your abundant provision for us in this world, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's sing our thanks. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you. You You are all welcome to go next door and join us for lunch and breaking bread together. God bless you. See you next door.